The Kern Institute Podcast Network. Welcome. Welcome, right. welcome. Just start, start over because I'm interrupting on. you. Come on. <laughs> See, I can say welcome. Go. All right. Um, good, uh, good morning. My name is Herodotus Alinas, and welcome to our podcast, Medical Education Matters, coming from the Kern Institute in Milwaukee. Uh, today is um, one of our series podcasts about um, technology in medical education, and we are going to include artificial intelligence and large language models. Our guest today is um, Dr. Claire Forsty, who joins us from the University of Minnesota. And of course, you know my partner in crime, Dr. Michael Brown. So um, Dr. Forsty, tells us, tell us about you. Oh, sure. Hi, thanks for having me. So I'm uh, Claire Forsty. I am a teaching consultant at the Center for Educational Innovation at the University of Minnesota which is the system-wide teaching center. So we support the entire University of Minnesota system with programming and consulting related to teaching. Um, also important to know about me, uh, my disciplinary background is sociology. So some of my thinking in our conversation comes from my perspective as a sociologist. I think a lot about how society as a whole affects our choices about teaching, what we can and can't do. So that's a little bit about who I am. I live here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, which is about to get real hot this week. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Well, that is fantastic. What a what an innovative center title, and your job sounds very interesting. I am quite interested about the social construct because this artificial technology is supposed to support us with our um, communication activities, um, et cetera, et cetera, in medical education. So tell us a little bit about your experience with artificial intelligence and education in general. Yeah, absolutely. There certainly are social contexts to consider here. So some of my thinking about artificial intelligence, things like large language models like ChatGPT that have been all over the news for the last six, nine months or so. Um, so my connection to this topic really started in earnest back in the fall of 2022, when there started to be a lot of conversation primarily about concerns about academic integrity and fears about AI in higher education, whether it would make it too easy for students to cheat, a lot of kind of worry about that. And the conversation, I, as I've observed it, has really evolved since then. So I wrote a resource back at the end of last year and at the start of this year, thinking about how do we think about how we assess student learning given these technological shifts. But the conversation has evolved quite a bit, I think, even in this short time frame, to really think about what, how, what's the level at which we really should be integrating AI into our teaching, into our courses, given what we know about our students' futures. There still is a lot of kind of question, concern about what these large language models do, what they don't do, what the future of AI will be in our fields. So there's a lot of uncertainty about that. 
and the, the conversation also has been a little bit on kind of the tone of um, how can we be flexible about these tools as they evolve so rapidly, right? They're already integrated into our lives. So what do we do, right? How do we think about them in ways that are not overwhelming and in ways that actually support student learning versus all the hype? There's still a lot of hype. There's still a lot of discussion about what these tools can and can't do. But for me, my interest really started in that initial phase of kind of academic integrity and what do we do? And so I have some thoughts about design for academic integrity given these tools. Dr. Forsti, I, I know you mentioned a couple of things about ChatGPT in particular. Can you please tell us, the audience, that perhaps, although they heard about it, they don't know enough about it, so that we can at least start with the fundamentals of this large language model, and then we can get further in depth of that particular process. Yeah, absolutely. One of the most fundamental things I think is to actually understand what these tools do and what they don't do in this moment versus the future. So large language models like ChatGPT are kind of at their core predictive machines. That's how I think of them. They are trained on vast amounts of data from the internet um, and they are programmed with human response. So it's not just the data source of the internet, but there's some human response in their training. And what they do is using a prompt, they generate some text in response to that prompt. But what they do is predictive. So it's not the same as using a Google search. There can be a lot of inaccuracy in what they produce. They can make up things like fake citations. So there's a lot of concern about their accuracy. But at their core, what they do is predict the most likely next phrase, sentence, paragraph. And so when you use them and you enter a prompt, question, address, it can be a little unnerving because it looks like they write as humans write, you know, one word after another. But really what they're doing is using very complicated um, programs to predict what they think is next. So that prediction element, I think, is really, really important to understand because they're not checking for accuracy. They're not making meaning of the text that they're generating. They don't really know how to understand it. They don't think like humans do. Um, and they can't really do things like basic math because they're predictive, right? So I think it's important to be aware of that context, that what they do and don't do. And at least now, the likelihood of... Um, creating inaccuracies. I think we've seen this all over the news a bit when you know, different people, organizations use AI tools like ChatGPT to generate something. They haven't given it a careful read using their own expert lenses and they generate something that's completely wrong with all these negative implications. So the other thing I would say that's important to know about AI in general is that there are many researchers, researchers who write about this. They still have bias built into them. I know different companies are trying to be responsive to that in different ways, but that is not a problem that's been solved yet. And so it's important to be aware that we do need some skills to read the output of tools like ChatGPT with a critical lens, right? And so there's a connection here to teaching in you know, some of the ways that folks have adopted tools like ChatGPT and their courses still require both instructors and students to be able to read them with a little bit of a critical lens because accuracy is not guaranteed and they're not bias-free. So that's kind of a little bit of the context that I think is important to know. 
Interesting, Dr. Forsty. It, it reminds me of something that I have put out for our learners. I had said that 10, 15 years ago, we would walk to the library, we would have our little index cards, we would walk down the aisle and then find our books, pull the book and look at some of that information. Move forward, 15, 10, 15 years later, we have one button we press and it says Google and then we put something and it spits out information. In my mind, our job as educators is to help learners sift through that information, what's right, what's wrong, what's accurate, what's inaccurate. And this reminds me a little bit of that, of this process that has evolved over the last 10 to 15 years. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think one of my big, I don't want to say fears, but one of my big concerns about folks um, adapting AI tools into their courses is, and even using them increasingly in our day-to-day -day work, is concerns about kind of information literacy and, you know, being able to read critically and knowing enough having some foundational skills to be able to um, find the information we need, but also to assess its veracity, right? So I think part of how this comes into teaching is to be to know in advance and help our students think through what are the foundational skills that they need outside of tools like AI in order to be able to read the output of something like ChatGPT with that critical lens and know, yes, this is accurate, no, it's not. So it's a little bit of a challenge for those of us who teach um, about teaching or for those of us who are teaching consultants, we think about sort of foundational skills or goals a lot. We've thought about it for a long time, but for some folks, this is a little bit of a new conversation. I think that's okay, but I think we need to still be thinking about what is it that our students will actually need to know how to do without the aid of these supportive technologies. They can be beneficial in some ways, but there is a real risk that our skills, our critical skills will get a little weaker over time, both for us as instructors and as faculty, but also for our students. So how do we really figure out what those skills are that students need outside of these tools? How do students view what these tools are generating with some criticism, with a lens of criticism? And how do we use them as experts in our fields, right? So how do we think about how we keep our own skills sharp if we are starting to use these tools more and more to do some kind of basic tasks that we might not like doing. Um, but how do we still maintain that critical lens on the work that we're doing, even given our training and expertise? Does that make sense? The connection that I make, we <laughs> I, I have this image Herodotus of what it would be like to go to the library if every book that you were passing by shouted out to you and said, I have the answer you need, and I'm the only resource that's correct, take me and I will provide you all the answers. It'd be very difficult to use the library and to know, well, what is correct? What should I do? Thankfully, the books just sit there quietly. The other connection I make is to many of our recent conversations about privilege, which have only grown more urgent uh, following the murder of George Floyd and other events that have sort of led to an awakening of these topics. We have AIs now that are presenting themselves as experts and using the language of expertise and certainty when in reality we know they have no such thing and they have no 
even ability to assess their own degree of certainty or give a, a rating to their own confidence in their answer. But we, because of how they present themselves, we treat them as though they're experts. Um, that's one of the concerns that keeps me up at night. And I want to hear, Claire, about your concerns too. But before we talk about those concerns that keep, a, keep us up at night, I'm wondering, are there any concerns you've heard from educators that you feel like can be addressed with a little bit of extra knowledge and a little bit of reassurance that maybe this is something we don't need to stress out about? Mm -hmm, absolutely. I mean, I foundationally stress out about everything. <laughs> so even <laughs> given that, though, even given that, I think one of the concerns I think that's somewhat, um, I don't want to say it's easily addressed, but it's achievable. There's a lot of uh, anxiety, worry, discussion about how are students using AI right now? And that's something you can actually ask your students about. So there is nothing wrong with using a little bit of time, class time, time that you have with your students to ask them, right? Talk with them. How are they using AI? There are certainly numerous research studies that are underway in this moment to answer that question more systematically, but there's no reason why you can't be curious with your students, right? So what do you know about them? What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks as far as you know right now? How have you used them? No shame, right? No shame. How are you using them? And that I think also serves the effect of doing a little bit of, Michael, what you were talking about, addressing this dimension of privilege around AI, because I think there is a real concern that some students will have the ability to know a lot about them and know how they work. And some students are just being introduced to these tools for the first time, maybe don't live in a community or have the resources to think through, what do these tools do? What do they not do? How do I experiment with them? Or how do I pay to have access to them? And so uh, one way that you could think about uh, something that's a little bit easier to address than some of these deeper issues is actually talk with your students. They're pretty savvy. So all of the writing that I'm seeing about what students are doing, they're pretty savvy about both the benefits and the drawbacks of these tools. And they're very mindful of their futures and thinking through how these tools might help them, but also how they might harm them in the future. So my thought there is to have a conversation with your students about how they're using AI tools right now, what they might think about for using them in the future, what have they heard about their benefits and drawbacks. And then you as faculty instructor um, can fill in a little bit, you know, what your knowledge is, questions that you have, what you're thinking about for the future, and what you think is really important for students to know um, within your discipline, within your field. I love the idea of it as a conversation with your students, because I think it gives the instructor an opportunity to say, we're all learning about this. We're all discovering how this might play a role in our learning and in our time here together uh, as, as we proceed in the process of education, the process of shared inquiry. We all want to take time to have those conversations to, to learn together. I, I really like that framework. So those concerns, I think, can be addressed. Instructors can do a little reading. They can prepare for the conversation. But I'm guessing you also have in mind some concerns that are harder to address and are harder to figure out. You want to scare us a little and uh, drop one of those? Oh, yeah, I have a couple. I mean, some of which we've addressed a little bit already. So there are concerns about academic integrity, for sure. I think there's been a, a kind of a broad shift over the last 10, 20 years in how we and our students think about cheating, what's acceptable, what's not. 
There's a little bit of research on that. And so thinking about, okay, so what do we do? How do we think about designing our assessments of student learning, our exams, our papers? How do we design them, design them in a way that's accessible to students and also makes them a little resistant to cheating, right? So as cheating becomes easier and easier to do with tools like ChatGPT, I think it is kind of a concern that instructors have around how do we address that and how do we stay flexible in our teaching? How do we design for academic integrity? One of the things that we know is that punitive approaches aren't especially effective in reducing cases of academic integrity, but some of those design components are, and it's never going to be perfect, right? No matter how carefully and meaningfully and thoughtfully you design your assessments, um, there will always be opportunities for students to cheat. And so I think that is a thorny set of questions that doesn't necessarily have an easy set of answers. Part of the other concern I have is ChatGPT as one example of the ways that instructors are being called to be very flexible in their teaching and spend a lot of time and energy thinking about how best to support students. This is not just a product of the pandemic. These dynamics have been true for a long time. And if we work in institutions that don't fundamentally value teaching and give us time and space to think through how to address the changes that are happening in our world, then are we gonna end up with burnout? Are folks still going to have the time and energy to effectively respond? Are there going to be stopgap measures that people put in place that maybe don't help in the longer term? So how can we have some time and energy institutionally to think through you know, AI questions, but also challenges to teaching more broadly? I think that is a tremendous, that's something I, I wake up at night worrying about. How do we have time and capacity to think about these questions given the overarching kind of squeezing of higher education and resources? I don't have an answer to that. That is that is my long-term kind of soapbox question that I ask. And I think tools like AI and ChatGPT fit into this as examples of, oh my goodness, here is a rapid technological change that affects us in the world. We need time and energy to think about it. So I have had folks across University of Minnesota who've reached out to me for things like workshops. And I think that's a good start, but it requires additional capacity. So again, I don't have any magic solutions. I don't have any magic funding sources that can pay people for course releases to think about this stuff. But um, I think fundamentally that's a challenge across higher education. Dr. Forsty, I'm, I'm just curious though, isn't that what we've had as trouble in education for generations, right? We've had cheating in assessment by learners in so many platforms. Why is this different? Yeah, why? so why is ChatGPT different? I think that's a great question. I think it's the ease at which students can access it and generate something that seems plausible. So in the past, we've had things like contract cheating where students could pay someone else to write an essay for them. But it was a little bit more labor intensive. You know, we've, as, as the internet has existed for several decades, you know, it's not hard to Google stuff on the internet and find pieces of information that can be incorporated. It's not also that hard to detect when someone has copied and pasted something from the internet. What's different about tools like ChatGPT is they are very difficult to detect. 
using any particular technology. And so some of the anxiety I see is around, well, how are we gonna know if students are using these tools to avoid doing the work of writing that we think they really need to do? So there's a detection concern, no matter what claims different companies are making about how they can detect AI, there is a lot of skepticism that they're reliable. There are some tips and tricks folks can use for now, but the whole goal of tools like ChatGPT is to be able to write and sound authentically like a human being, right? And so of course they're gonna be difficult to detect as a predictive machine. So if you remember, that's what it is. So, you know, part of it is the detection question. I think part of it is the ease of use and ease of access that so many students have. So if it's real easy to just pop your assignment prompt into ChatGPT, spit something out, even if you're not copying and pasting it, to use it as a brainstorming tool, which a lot of students do. I think that is the ease of use, the undetectability. Those are kind of the pieces that are new and speedily evolving, kind of rapidly evolving, that I hear folks are concerned about. But the kind of solution side of it, not that it's a perfect fix, but that assessment design side of it, that conversation has been around for a long time. And of course, cheating has been possible for a long time. It's just looked a little different. It's been a little harder to access, and it's been a little easier to detect in the past. The slippery slope piece is the one that interests me. So you you mentioned you know contract cheating where uh, someone says write this essay for me, or the stereotype is that the fraternity, the sorority has the you know collection of essays, and you go and pull in or or old tests or whatever. There's not much of a gray area with some of that cheating. If you're taking an essay that you know someone else wrote and turning it in as your own work, it's very clear academic dishonesty, academic misconduct. The brainstorming piece, though, you know, if I have an essay prompt and I take a walk with a friend and I say, hey, I've got an assignment for class. And the question is this, what do you think? I don't think anyone would say that's cheating. That's just talking about an idea. And if you your friend has some ideas you think are good and you put it in the essay, it's still your own work. But what if chat GPT or Google Bard gives me those ideas? And what if it sounds so good that I kind of use that as the outline for what I'm going to write? I could see how students walk down that road and end up with something that the university might declare as fraud or cheating that the student would say, are you kidding? This this is no different than having a conversation with a friend. And I, I get a little scared about that, um, both from the instructor's perspective, trying to defend a claim of cheating at an, at an academic misconduct hearing, and from the student rights perspective, you know, where, what education has the student been given? What preparation have they received that will allow them to use the tool for what it's for? Um, so often we're teaching our students how to learn on their own. And if we haven't taught them how to assess these tools, as you said earlier, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I think that really for me highlights the importance of having the conversation with your students. So first of all, knowing enough about these tools to make some decisions for your own teaching context about what counts as an academic integrity violation in the context of the courses you teach versus you know more broadly philosophical questions. Okay, I think it's our job as instructors to decide what counts as cheating in our courses. So can students use ChatGPT as a brainstorming tool? Can they use it to polish up a first draft so that it sounds a little bit better? What are the limits of what we're comfortable with? 
based on our decisions about what those skills that students really need are. So we have a responsibility to kind of to think about what those parameters are and then talk with students about that, right? So this is, again, the value of having a conversation with your students. In so many ways, it's really powerful because you can say, these are my expectations for this course, but you can also be open to hearing from students, well, here are some thoughts I have about that, or here are some ways that I found this beneficial. Does this count? Does this not? So it can be a little bit of an exchange, but it's important to have that conversation with students beyond just having a statement in your syllabus, right? I think sometimes as instructors, we think, oh, if I just put something in my syllabus about it, of course students read the syllabus, right? Yeah. So, you know, the importance of having that conversation with students in whatever modality you're teaching beyond the syllabus. So here's what the syllabus says, and let's talk about it so you're really clear on it. And maybe revisit the conversation later in the semester, especially as these tools are evolving so rapidly. So everyone, at least for this moment, is on the same page. So I think avoiding syllabus bloat and making it into a conversation is, is a great thing. If we're thinking about these tools in general and their role in education specifically, I'm wondering, are there a couple things you'd like to see changed or addressed in AI? Things that uh, either are concerns or just things that you think would help push this tool into an area where it's working for us instead of against us? Yeah, so a couple of things I'd say there, I think beyond the kind of institutional commitment to teaching, which I'm always harping on, wanting to see changed a little bit more, you know, I think um, some of the considerations I have have to do with kind of who owns these tools, how accessible they are. You know, I've seen some news coverage lately about how, you know, Meta's AI has been made available as open source intentionally or not. So how some of these tools will evolve from a research perspective. I think will be really interesting and having them available publicly in some way is helpful. I think, you know, some of it is um, also about how we think about our response to them. So given what we know as sort of the bias embedded in these tools, given how rapidly they're evolving, I think I would also really like to see better responses to those questions of bias and inequity both on the part of the companies that are developing these tools, but also on the part of institutional leaders and on the part of faculty and instructors. So thinking about, you know, what, what really do we need to do in this moment? Can we take a breath? Can we take a little bit of time to kind of see how some of these things evolve before we shame people for not incorporating AI into their teaching, right? or rush to incorporate things in ways that we really don't have the time or capacity to think through. So some of that is we do, I hope we have some agency as instructors, as faculty to think through what really is the level of incorporation that I'm comfortable with given my own capacity and limitations. I think that is something that we need to think through also. So given the social context that we're all in, given our own pressures, you know, so that's something to think through. But I think, you know, there are all kinds of responses that folk, different um, concerned folks are calling for, whether it's asking for administrators to fix everything, not sure that that is a good solution, or asking government to kind of set parameters, maybe. But we know that things in higher education and in government move very slowly. And so in terms of change, right, in terms of how we change fundamentally, so thinking through how do we respond to those questions of inequity and bias, 
how do we kind of take our time in ways that make sense to us so we're not adopting something so quickly that we're not really aware of what it's doing? So there's a lot of layers to that answer, but there's a lot of layers to AI as a tool in teaching. So those are some of the kind of things that I think about that I'd like to see folks pause, think a little bit differently about, maybe some changes to think through. Love it. I love the part that um, essentially take a breath, pause. I think that's one of the pieces in technology that evolved over the many years that we had said, you know, I mean, you always had, you know, your bell curve and you have the early adapters and you have the ones that are lagging behind and you have the middle piece. And we've all talked about the skeptics, right, that are involved in no matter what we do and whether we adopted the iPhone or whether we adopted, uh, dropped the um, answering machine, et cetera, et cetera. It, you're absolutely right. It's there are things that we take for granted. There are things that we can um, evolve from and to. And um, these are the pieces that we have to think about critically. How do we in education support our learners and support our leaders to see the perspectives that are involved in this process. That's how I see it. So if you had to leave us for the audience, maybe a couple of key points. And if you do have any references, great. Otherwise, we can always incorporate them in the notes that we provide with the episode. But I'm just curious, could you give us, could you leave us with some key points Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. for AI and the future. Yeah, sure. So I will say just a couple of things for right now, and then maybe just a bit about the future. Um, so right now, I think as instructors, you know, what we can focus on is first understanding what tools like ChatGPT and other AI tools do, right? What they do and what they don't do, and make sure that we understand enough about those tools to be able to speak intelligently with our students about them. And I think holding on to a little bit of that skepticism, I think it's good to do that just as a general rule when we're, we're incorporating new technologies. Have that conversation with our students, decide some parameters, some skills that we know students need to have, um, and then have the conversation with our students about what's accepted and what's not in our courses. Be open to being wrong and to change things in the future and to kind of continue to think flexibly about our teaching as much as we can. Um, I, in terms of the future, you know, one question I think about is, so what is this all gonna look like in the future, five years, 10 years down the road? And I am not like a prognosticator really by training, but one of the things I see, there's a lot of conversation about kind of artificial general intelligence, which is this idea that eventually artificial intelligence will come to think similarly to or eclipse human thinking. And I think about artificial general intelligence in the realm of higher education, what might that look like? So I am curious to know if these multiple AI functions that already exist in the landscape of higher ed in a lot of ways will kind of come together for students in a way that is similar to multi how multiple functions came together into smartphones, 
the iPhone, right? So I wonder if there'll be multiple AI functions that come together to support students individually. Maybe students will have, I'm channeling much um, science fiction that I read and watch, if students will have uh, an artificial intelligence mentor who will help them kind of navigate through college, I can imagine benefits to that. But given this ongoing question of inequity and bias, I can imagine a lot of drawbacks too. So I'll be interested to see in the future kind of whether and how AI is integrated in a kind of more systematic way in students' lives. Maybe we'll all have our own mentor, AI mentors or something, um, which again, as someone who's a perpetual consumer of dystopian science fiction, I have some concerns about, but you know, I am curious to see if it's something that'll evolve in the next five to 10 years. That is fantastic. So we're talking about being flexible, start a conversation, and as usual, set expectations so that we're all on the same page. Um, thank you, Dr. Forsty, for joining us today. We're hoping that you can come back and talk to us again as the technology evolves in education. On behalf of our podcast team, uh, Michael Brown joining me today. I am Gerardo Salinas. Thank you for listening. Thanks, everyone.